uh, vote of affirmation. That sounds wonderful. So welcome again to church, everyone. So glad you're here to worship our God and King in this place. And um, we are tonight, in terms of the preaching of the word, uh, in First Peter, as has been the case just about every time I've been up here, having an opportunity to teach over the last year and a half or so. And so we're, we're chugging along. We're in First Peter chapter 4, looking at verses 7 through 11 tonight. So now that you're cozy, why don't you go ahead and stand back up and uh, give uh, attention and honor and respect to the word of God as we read it aloud here together tonight. God's word, 1 Peter chapter 4, picking up in verse 7, says this. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. In order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Men, this is God's word. Please remain standing and let's pray together. Father in heaven, God, thank you, Lord, for this night already. Uh, Lord, for being with us, uh, for the work you have already done in our hearts and minds as we have prayed together, as we have sang uh, your, your glory and sang your worship. We ask, Lord, and pray, Lord, that through your word and by your Holy Spirit, you would make this time in the scriptures profitable. Lord, for our uh, growth in Christ, our growth in grace, Lord, and for your glory on this earth, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Men, you may be seated. Okay. So, uh, church, family, friends, um, as I did my, my study, my reflection on this passage this week, I was reminded as I went along in a particular way of the faith of my grandma, actually, uh, on my mother's side of the family, my mom's mom. Uh, and my, uh, my grandmother's faith was notable to me as a child, as I was growing up, I think for several different reasons. Uh, but one of those reasons was that uh, my grandma was one who was... Uh, pretty confident, and verbally so, she would say this, uh, pretty, pretty well convinced that, well, of a couple things. First of all, not only that Jesus Christ would indeed come again in the flesh, as he said he would do, as we see in the scriptures, but secondly, not only would Jesus come again in the flesh, that she would see that day. That she would be alive when he came back. That, that she would see his return. That she would be one who would personally be able to lay her eyes on Christ. As he returned, coming on the clouds, as we read in Revelation, in power and in glory, to judge the living and the dead. She thought we were in, in that sense and that close, that it would be in her lifetime, that we're in this home stretch, that she, that she would see it. 
that she would see him. Looking back now, this, this particular grandma of mine has herself been with the Lord. She, she, she has now seen Jesus, but she's been with the Lord for about three years now. So she, you know, needless to say, she, she did not actually see that day in the flesh, his second coming, his return, as she, she thought she might. And she was kind of convinced on some level that that might be the case for her. And yet, I would say, uh, to her credit, and in memory of her and kind of in honor of uh, that spirit, I think that whether she, uh, as my grandma, was um, ultimately right or wrong about the exact time frame of the Lord's return, the exact kind of nearness or far, far awayness of the Lord's return, either way, I think that uh, that mindset, that spirit uh, of expectation, that, that outlook, that attitude that, hey, Jesus is coming back and it could be real soon. I think that's right. I think that's good. I, I think that's even biblical, that we should have that kind of expectancy as we think about time and history and, and God and what he is doing on the earth. That we might be those who say, hey, maybe in my lifetime, maybe Jesus will, will come. Maybe we'll see him. As we come to First Peter, if I had to summarize in a single phrase, I think, what the Apostle Peter is saying in this passage, both to his original audience and then also to us as a, as a secondary audience, it would simply be this. I think to believers in Jesus, Peter would say, saints, brothers and sisters, we are in the home stretch. Be the church. Be the church. More than ever, Double down, triple down on that reality. Be together who God in Christ has made us to be. Let's do that. Be the church. Verse 7 of the text in this passage is where we see this idea of kind of being in the home stretch uh, really come into focus in terms of thinking about what God is doing in history Right at the top, Peter writes that the end of all things is at hand. It's this very stark, kind of striking uh, statement. Some verses will have, instead of uh, the end of all things is at hand, they'll say the end of all things is near. I looked at a paraphrase this week that put it like this. Uh, it's the message, uh, Eugene Peterson, he writes this verse. He says, everything in the world is about to be wrapped up. And then he goes on. Therefore... So, act in this way. Be this kind of people. Do these things in light of that reality. And essentially, what I, the label I'm putting on that for us tonight is all these things that we're seeing, these commands, it's, it's what the church does. It's what we are called to do as the church and as the people of God on this earth. It's... Uh, it's Maybe interesting to note or good to note, just in terms of context, as we look back, that the previous section, the beginning of chapter 4, was all about um, kind of these things that Christians should not do, the things that are in the culture that we should be avoiding, that, should, that we should 
you know, be rejecting. This is now kind of the positive side of that, of like, hey, lean into these things. We said no to these things, we're saying yes to this stuff. That kind of, in the big picture, flow is what's happening here. But I think there's a, a question here that you might be asking in your mind, I don't know, came to my mind as I was uh, studying and getting ready for this, uh, this week. And I think it's an important one to address just for a moment. And the question is, or might be, did Peter himself, or how much, you know, did Peter himself have a clear kind of timeline in his own head when he's writing these words, when he's saying that the end of all things is at hand? Like that, that, those sound like very urgent words, don't they? Yes? Yeah? Okay. To me, they sound urgent. You guys do not sound urgent. You sound sleepy. Uh, but uh, I, I get that. I'm right there with you. But anyway, uh, the end of all things is near. It sounds urgent. So, so what, is Peter, what does Peter have in his mind as he thinks about that? Right? Was, was he thinking as Peter is writing these words, he's saying, hey, Jesus is coming back next week. Is he thinking, hey, next year this is happening, or in 25 years we're going to see Jesus? Would, you know, if we could kind of take, you know, from our moment, go back in time and tell Peter and say, hey, Peter, by the way, it is 2021 and we're still waiting. Like, would he, would he be surprised by that? Or would he just say, yeah, okay, that's fine. The truth is, we, it's hard to know. We don't ultimately know what, what was going on in Peter's mind, what, what he was thinking. But I think the best answer to this question is that Peter probably thought less in terms of specific dates and times on like a calendar that we could pinpoint, and much more in terms of like big picture salvation history kind of stuff. Like what is God doing big movements in the world to save, to claim, to redeem his people on the earth? And so I think from that perspective, it makes more sense. From, from that perspective, we could say, yes, the end of all things very much is at hand. For Peter, as he's writing these words, and still for us, 2,000 plus years later. Why? Well, because even as Peter was writing these words, so much had already happened. Peter had seen so much. He had walked with Christ. Peter had seen the Messiah, the promised one, come in flesh and dwell among us. Peter had seen the promised one, the Messiah, die for sins, for the sins of his people in accordance with the scriptures. Peter had seen Christ risen from the dead, risen on high three days after his crucifixion, and then 40 days later, after rising and walking and, and making many appearances, 40 days later, ascending into heaven to be at the right hand of the Father. He'd seen a lot. All that was true. And so if you think about all that and everything that had happened in the Old Testament to lead to Christ, on one level you can say, what, what else is left for there to happen? All that is needed is for the gospel to go forward, we'll, we're going to make a few more disciples, and then, he, and then it's going to happen. Jesus is coming back. He's going to return in glory, and he's going to set things right finally and forever. And so from that perspective, I think, you know, anyone who would say, you know, that Peter here is um, kind of ginning things up, 
that Peter is, is kind of doing a little bit of a, a chicken little thing in some sense of just, he's going around just saying, hey, you know, the sky is falling. That's not the case. He's not just fear-mongering here. In, in, the, in a similar sense, it's, you know, what we're seeing from Peter here is not, it's not like uh, the boy who cried wolf, right? Who uh, is just saying, saying this thing, hey, you know, trying to get a reaction. And then, by the way, oh, that, it, just kidding. And then that happens seven more times. And by, by the, you know, eighth time when something is real, no one cares anymore. Because it's like, yeah, okay, Peter, you said that. That's not what's going on here. It's not a boy crying wolf. It's not a chicken little. It's, it's Peter being grounded and rooted in the story that the scriptures say. He knows his Bible. He knows what has happened in the Old Testament. He knows what he has lived in his own personal experience, walking with Christ on the earth. And he knows through the scriptures what's coming next. He knows what's due. And even if that next step, that next final phase, whether it's, it's 10 years out or whether it's 25 years out or whether it's 10,025 years out from this moment, either way, Peter's words here are legitimate words when he says the end of all things is at hand. It's near from that big picture perspective of what God is doing in history. You buy it? Make sense? Okay. Now, even so, we established that. That being the case, uh, even if we're saying uh, this kind of... Peter has this less specific, date-specific kind of view of time. It does kind of, we've stirred up another question here that we need to ask and answer and address. And I think the question is, okay, Peter, so if it is going to be a long time before Jesus comes back, we don't really know, but if it's going to be many, many years, what are we to do? As believers in Jesus, as we're waiting for him to come back, what do we do in the meantime? You could throw out some, some possibilities, throw out some options, right? You could say, well, you know, we know how the story's going to end. It's gonna, Jesus is going to win, so in the meantime, let's uh, indulge. Let's eat and drink and be merry and just, it's all good. Jesus is coming back. Everything's going to be fine. Let's just be comfortable and have fun. It's one way you could go, knowing the end of the story. Maybe another way you could go, uh, instead of indulgence, you could say, hey, you know what we need to do? Uh, We need to build bunkers. We need to go underground. We need to hide because uh, this world is a little bit hostile. Uh, Sometimes people don't like us because we talk about Jesus. And so we need to protect ourselves from as as much pain and suffering as we can. And we just need to go underground and isolate and we just, we just stay there until, until Christ comes, and then, we, and then we're out of here. That could be another way, another strategy as you think about what are we, what are we doing while we're waiting for Christ to return. I think in, in a very real sense, for Peter's first century audience, that was the case. It had been the case already that they had faced some pretty serious persecution under Roman empire, emperors and under the Roman empire. And as we know from history, that, that that intensity, that pressure was going to increase for them in this first century context. So it was very real. But either way, I, I think if we look at those two options, just to take two, Peter would say, 
No. Like, he would reject both of those. He would say, neither of those are correct. What we need to do as we are waiting for Christ, we're waiting for his return, for the end of all things, as we are in this kind of final stretch here, is we need to be the church. We need to go about, get busy, being the people that, I, that the Lord has called us to be. Even if things look nuts, even if things are scary, even if we're tempted to just be super comfortable and kick back and be lazy, our calling is the same. Keep being the people of God. As we zoom in a little bit more closely uh, on the verses today, I think Peter shows us that being the church means at least three things in terms of what Peter is saying here. I think uh, if we were to zoom out and we were talking about what it means to be the church, uh, we could say a whole lot more. There's a lot more things we could say, but if we're just keeping it to this particular set of verses... We see three things that Peter is saying. This is what it means to be, to be the, the church. First and foremost, being the church means that we are a people who are committed to prayer. I think we see that in these verses. Secondly, being the church means that we are a people who are committed to loving one another. Thirdly, we see in these verses that being the church means that we are a people committed to using our gifts to serve others. That's think what we're seeing. Those are the positive do, be kind of commands that we're seeing Peter exhort his people to. And remember, these people are scattered all over Asia Minor, these five different territories. These are the things that, as we think about them, whether uh, they were being done in the first century or whether we're engaged in these things today, we can say that blessed is the servant whose master finds him or her doing these things. When he returns. Right? If, the, if the Lord comes, come, you know, if he appears and finds us doing those things, hallelujah, right? It's good. So, you know, classic, like, three points, and I'm, like, way too far into this message already. So, like, I can't, like, give, like, you know, proper attention to all three of these, you know, classic preacher points. So what I want to do is just kind of focus a little bit more specifically on the first two for a couple moments and make really light work of the third um, and then kind of bring it home if you guys are still breathing. Okay, you're alive? Okay, that was good. Okay, so um, so what, what we're seeing here, I think, um, well, let me start with this. Uh, if you can imagine with me for a moment a relay race. Uh, like a track and field kind of course. And imagine, um, you know, maybe a 4 by 400 relay track team or a 4 by 800 team, and imagine that team coming down the home stretch. What you want in that situation, if you're on that team or if you're rooting for a team, is that you want to know that that last person in that, in that relay team is going to be able to finish strong. You, we want to know that that person is going to be able to, uh, to kind of either make up some ground or at least hold, hold the line, um, you know, if you got some competitors hot on your heels. You want that person to kind of be the anchor of your team, finishing strong. And for Peter, it seems pretty clear to me, based on what we're seeing and what he's saying, 
that there is no such thing as finishing strong in the Christian life without prayer. If we want to finish strong, we need to be praying people. If we want to not even finish strong, if we want to have any kind of air in our Christian life, if we want to have oxygen as believers in Jesus Christ, we, we need to be in prayer. So, what does it mean? What is Paul, or I'm sorry, not Paul, wrong apostle. What is Peter uh, encouraging? How, how is he, what is he saying we should commit to as the church when it comes to prayer? I think two things he says uh, about this. He says, number one, be self-controlled. And then secondly, number two, be sober-minded. Both of these we see still at the top in verse seven. In other words, If we are going to be a people who are committed to prayer, we need to be living a life that is on purpose. We need to be living a life that is intentional. And then secondly, we need to be having our minds aligned with truth. We need to be having uh, our, our thinking and our hearts tuned by the scriptures, by God's reality. Do these things, Peter is saying... Be self-controlled, be sober-minded, not just so that you can you know, accomplish your goals in life and feel good about yourself, but do these things, be self-controlled, be sober-minded in this life so that you can pray, so that you can pray rightly, so that you can have a desire to pray. It's hard to be a praying person if your life is chaos and your schedule is chaos. I, I've lived some of that in my life. I think about that, the days, especially immediately after the fire, uh, there was a lot of chaos for many of us, whether you, know, whether you experienced it firsthand or even in Chico, it was crazy days, right? You know, when, when, when there's chaos, it's hard to center your, your life and center your heart, even on the things you know are right and true. So Peter is saying here, be self-controlled, be sober-minded. In my experience, it is very easy, even when things are going well, even when things are calm, to be a a prayerless uh, believer, to to have a kind of a prayerless faith life. And I think one of the reasons for that, that we need to be fighting against and aware of all the time, is because it is very easy in our culture, in our moment, just to be consumers. It's very easy to be consumers of goods and services. It is very easy to be consumers of uh, social media, media in general. We become consumers of fear, become consumers of anxiety, become consumers of anger and outrage outrage that's all over uh, the internet and on the television. We consume all of these things and then we never take all of that and then come before the throne of grace. And say, God, I'm broken. This is broken. Help. We, we, just, we don't hit the pause button. We just continue to be caught up in the cycle. And we need, we need that pause. We need to come before the throne of grace in prayer. So let me encourage you tonight, as Peter is encouraging all of us in this passage, to, to take the steps you need to take to organize your thoughts, to hit that pause button, to organize your mind, to, to 
Reorganize your life, maybe. Say no to some things. Step out of some things if you need to, if you're overcommitted. For the purpose of being a praying person. Think, uh, as I think about our calling to be prayers, I'm super encouraged as I read uh, the Gospels and I see Jesus teaching his disciples how to pray. Especially, I thought this week of John 17, where we see not only Jesus teaching his disciples to pray, but we see Jesus praying himself in a, in a big way. John 17, if you haven't looked at it in a while or ever, check it out. It's, it's an, this amazing chapter where Jesus is, he knows he's heading to the cross very soon. And so what does he do? He hits the pause and he prays for his disciples. And he moves on. Not only does he pray for his disciples, but he prays for those who would believe in his name because of his disciples. Which if you're tracking along, that means he, Jesus prayed for us. Right? Jesus, our Savior, has prayed for us. And because of that, we are welcomed in, we are invited in to be prayers as well. So, be the church by being committed to being a praying person, praying people. It's the first, first thing. Secondly here, we get to be the church by committing to love one another. Love one another. Earnest, intentional ways. Peter says in verse 8 that above all, the Christian believers to whom he's writing this letter must press on in love for each other. He writes, keep loving one another earnestly. And then he gives a reason. He says, since love covers a multitude of sins. When I think of this image, this idea, this, this idea of love covering sin in the Bible, I get this image of kind of a flood. Just, you know, water is just covering everything. Biblically, I think of, you know, the flood in Genesis, in the days of Noah, how the waters rose and, and covered even the highest mountain peaks. And I think of that in terms of what Peter is saying here about how love covers sin. We might think about, too, uh, Exodus 12, how the blood of the Lamb covered the doorposts and so that the, the angel of the Lord might pass over the Israelite houses so that the firstborn sons of the Israelite children would not be harmed. It was because of that covering. There was, there was health, there was healing in those houses as opposed to the curse and the struggle that went other places. Ultimately, I think that the idea of Peter, that Peter is getting at here with covering sins is the idea of we love each other and we forgive one another. The, the, the importance of forgiveness in our lives. As God in Christ has first and foremost loved and forgiven us, so we love and forgive others. Quick caveat here I think that's important to make is that the call here is not, I would say, is most certainly not to just ignore sin or to pretend like sin doesn't exist or that it didn't happen. Like Peter is not advocating here for like conspiracies to cover up injustice 
or things that, that are wrong. Rather, I think what Peter is saying here is that we do need to face sin honestly and we need to allow God's grace to enter in where there has been failure. And as we allow God's grace to enter into those places of sin and failure, we begin to realize that God's grace and his love get bigger. And they overflow. In verse 9 of the text, I think Peter gives us, uh, as we're still thinking about love, he gives us a really practical, hands-on example of what loving one another looks like. And in a word, it comes to hospitality. Hospitality. The opening up of one's home to others, to the stranger, to those who are in need. Uh, When I think personally of hospitality, again, I think of all the different places that Angie and I and Abby uh, crashed after the fire. You know, just spare bedrooms and couches and things like that when we were kind of discombobulated completely and didn't know where to be. We received love and support and hospitality, even from people in this room. That is, is the kind of kindness that I think Peter is talking about here, that he's commending. And doing that without that kind of spirit of grumbling or begrudging it. And I think, again, one of the only ways that we can really become like a really gracious host and really be all in on hospitality without begrudging it is when we come to the realization that God in Christ has welcomed us in. And that he has extended his hand. He has opened his door. He has opened his table to us. And so therefore, we open our tables and our houses to others as well. Peter goes on from here. Not only, you know, the prayer thing, the love thing, as I said, he goes on to call us to be the church in terms of serving one another. He says a lot on these things about how we have these various gifts and abilities that we've been given. Some of us, he says, you know, have particularly speaking gifts. Others have more kind of, again, practical, hands-on serving gifts. But either way, the one thing I just want to say about all that is that it all is rooted and comes back to the beautiful, multifaceted grace of God that is the one source of all of these gifts. And because of that, we are a body and we get to help one another and serve one another in these ways. So we get to be the church in all these ways. As we consider ourselves, as I think we should, rightly, in the home stretch of salvation history, We commit to prayer. We're called to commit to one another in love, to forgive one another. And we're called to use our gifts to serve. I encourage you, I don't know uh, what you've been thinking or what the Lord's been doing as we've been discussing these things, but if if any one of those things has stood out to you in terms of, you know what, I've really not been engaged in this way. Don't just like let that slip away, but continue to reflect on that. This week, continue to, to sink into what the Lord might have for you in terms of a deeper prayer life or what the Lord might have for you in terms of like really loving and forgiving someone that maybe is really hard to love and forgive in your life or using your gifts in a, in a new way. I don't know what it might be, but sink into those things. Don't let them go.
The final closing verse that I'll close with here, verse 11, Peter says that all of these things, the reason we do all of this, the reason we are the church and engage in all of these ways, ultimately is for the glory of God. To God alone be the glory. Forever and ever. Amen? Amen. Until the day we see him face to face. That day may be soon. Come, Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Father in heaven, God, thank you uh, for the scriptures. God, thank you for your grace and your love. Lord, is uh, the call to worship reminded us earlier today, Lord, the steadfast love, your steadfast love that is unfading and unchanging and constant. Lord, help us to lean into the, the, that reality, your truth, more and more so that we might increasingly be your people, your church on this earth. Remind us of your truth and reality even as we partake of these communion elements right now. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.